I'm Eli Schwartz, and this is SEO in 2024. Eli, what's your number one SEO tip for 2024? Think it's going to be the same as it was in 2020. Care more about the user than the search engine. And has the way in that you go about doing that changed over the last few years? From a technical standpoint, of course. But from a marketing product standpoint, no. And I don't think that ever changes. It's like asking a storekeeper if the way they approach sales and the way they approach their customers changed in you know the year 2000 versus the way it would have changed and it were the way they did it in 1900 you know it's exactly the same the mediums you do it obviously you know in the year 1900 if someone would come into a store you didn't get people very often maybe you know they approached them and, and you know had a conversation with them and walked them to the store and helped them buy things and in the year 2000 we had supermarkets and big box stores and obviously in the year 2024 we're going to have different experiences but everything changes the medium might change but the approach should never change. And I think SEO should be the exact same, which is in the year 2000, right after search engines were, you know, came into existence, people went on Google, Excite, Yahoo, whatever all those search engines were, and they typed in things indicating they wanted to buy something or wanted to learn something. And you built a website with content that they could learn from and could buy from. In the year 2024, you're going to be doing the exact same thing, except the medium changes a little bit. So the big thing, of course, in 2024, is generative AI. So when 2024 starts, will Google have integrated generative AI for all users or not? We don't know. However, in 2025, they probably will. You know, ChatGPT exists. I think uh, last year we talked a little bit about will there be other search engines? And I think that was my prediction that there will be other search engines. And I said that it could be Apple, it could be Amazon, it could be Facebook. I had no idea that it was going to be ChatGPT. So whether ChatGPT is a meaningful search engine or not, it is a search engine. And whether the Bing integration with ChatGPT is a real change to Bing or not, right now it's not, that's another search engine. So I do think more search engines changes the way we do SEO because it becomes fragmented. So you can't just follow the rules of Google and expect to hit everyone. So right now you can't because Google has 90 plus percent market share. When there are more search engines, you change your methodology a little bit because it, you can't optimize for six search engines. You can't optimize for even two search engines. So I think the right way to do SEO is focus on the user and not the engine, the medium that they arrive on your website from. So the queries, I think, change with generative AI. The way users experience content will change with generative AI. But ultimately, the users are still the same people. I guess one of the things that's changed is the ability of search engines to understand content. Um, because if you go back a few years, years ago, you had to really cater for both the user and the search engine. And sometimes you need to do, to, to do different things for the search engine. You need to, to, to mark up your content in certain ways for them to understand what your content was about. Are we getting to a stage now where it's not so necessary to be concerned about on-page markup, to articulate to search engines what your content is about? I think we've been past that for years. I think it's funny, like, you know, we're not talking about links really, but like there's still this concept of do follow versus no follow links. And clients will ask me this all the time. Should I worry about these no follow links? This concept came out, I believe in 2010, and now we're going into 2024. So it's 14 years old. We're in a world where obviously we, we've seen what generative AI can look like. We're in a world where 
Google and other companies have self-driving taxis that have no driver in it whatsoever. So technology has changed. So I think we're well beyond a stage where you need to tell a, tell a search engine, this is a real link, this is not a real link. Well beyond the stage where you need to even tell a search engine what the image alt text is. So initially this concept of image alt text, it's obviously an accessibility feature. You tell the search engine what the image is, and then it can be read out on an accessibility reader for someone that's, that's vision impaired. The search engines, or not just search engines, technology is creating images from scratch based on prompts. So they can look at the image, recognize the image. And, you know, I, I love using Android devices because you see the power of Google. So there's on Google, on, on Android devices, natively, you have Google Lens, which looks at an image and parses out what the image is. So I think we're well beyond an age where you need to tell a search engine, this is about a business. This is what the image is. This is content and all those things. I think it, the engines really parse it. And maybe some SEOs get lost in these details, but I don't think they're necessary. I don't think they add a leg up. So going back to your original tip, how do we find out why users are searching for particular things instead of what they're searching for? It's very simple. I'm sorry, it's gonna to be too simple. You just have to ask the users. So I find this all the time, like I talk to businesses and I, I, we talk about their keywords and we talk about who their users are. And then I say, have you asked them? And then they say, oh, that's a novel idea. And that shouldn't be a novel idea. Technology has allowed us to step too far back from who the customer is. So, you know, earlier I said about going into a store and the storekeeper would walk with the customer through the store to understand what the customer wants. We can still do that. We can still do that even with an age of technology where you can look at your analytics and try to understand the user's journey on the website. You can even use generative AI to have a conversation with the user and learn from the user what they want. So I think the best way to understand users is to talk to users. Again, you don't need to actually have to talk to them. You can use technology to understand their needs, but that's the representation of what they're doing with a query on a search engine. And Google knows that. So if you look at, you know, let's go back a few years before generative AI, you do a query and Google would match intent to the query. So let's say I did a search for a software. I use the word software, like podcasting software. And the uh, podcasting platform didn't know they were supposed to use the word software. They used the word platform on their page. Google would still match the user to that, even though they never used the word software because they understood the intent behind both the website and the user. Now we're in this world of generative AI, which like takes away this entire concept of keywords. It's about parsing what the user said, and then the engine responding to what the user said. So now we're going to be in this world of generative AI where they're going to serve website results and they're parsing the website based on generative AI potentially, and they're going to be parsing the query based on generative AI. So the, the only defense you have against that is understand the user, create for the user. Going back to software, is there not any software that we can use to find out the whys behind users' behaviors, behind why they actually visit your website? Or is it really absolutely essential to have um, conversation with people who are interacting directly with your own website? I don't think there is an, a pure software solution right now. So like, let's say keywords, you have a bunch of keywords, those are one dimensional. So all the SEO research tools are one dimensional keywords. I've seen this over and over with, you know, clients I've talked to, clients I've potent, like talked about potentially working with, where they, they look at keyword research as the, the holy grail, the gospel for what they should be doing without understanding that there are some users that use those keywords 
and they're looking for something completely different than what the, the website offers, what the company offers. So you need to go and take those keywords and understand the user. Again, there's no, I don't think there's one be all end all solution of this is what the user searched. I've taken that keyword. I've seen their user journey. And now it just tells me what I should do. I still think you need to like, you need the human intelligence to look at what have they searched? Why did they search it? Where'd they end up? Did they buy and all that? I don't know that we'll ever get to that stage. Again, I, I think generative AI can be useful here because you can have conversations with the users. There's many websites use chatbots and the chatbots I think are, they're useless. They're basically search engines where, you know, let's say I was trying to cancel my internet service recently. I go on the, on the website and it gives me a chatbot and says, what do you want? Oh, I want to cancel. And then it says, oh, here's a good article about canceling. Instead of having that conversation with why do you want to cancel and understanding what my needs and intents are based on generative AI. And then it brings me to, oh, this is someone that should really talk to a, a representative. This is someone who should read an article. This is someone that we're going to call and all of that. So I think generative AI is, it could be used better to have those conversations, but you still need to put together all these softwares. Okay. Okay. So you've done the work, you've defined your whys um, from your target prospects. How do you actually incorporate those whys into your content? So you need to speak to the user based on those whys. So it, whatever it is that you're doing, if you're selling mortgages, so there's many people that sell mortgages, but you know, your user, you know, you have your particular angle. So let's say before the internet age, if you were a mortgage broker, you put a, an ad in the, the newspaper, you put an ad in, in the yellow pages and people called you and you said, what is it that you want? Oh, you have a complicated job situation. Your financial information is unclear. Mortgage brokers specialized in that mortgage brokers still specialize in that. So now they need to use websites and content in a sort of asynchronous way to then show how they cater to those users. So a mortgage broker that caters to users that have complicated job situations shouldn't be writing content about mortgages, just boring content about mortgages. They have their angle, they have their perfect customer and they have their specific skill set. Their content should be about that because they know who their customer is. And has this in any way changed the way that SEO needs to interact with other marketing activities, other marketing channels? I always have felt that SEO did not interact enough with other marketing channels enough. So I've seen this, you know, is if you use an agency to do your SEO, then they're certainly not interacting with other marketing channels because they're completely siloed. It's like one agency that does paid one agency that does organic, and they're not really crossing the wires and understanding things. If it's in-house and that's where I spent most of my career, the teams are almost pitted against each other. Oh, the paid team does this. The email team does that. The organic team does that. So I think always SEO should be talking more to those other teams and really learning from those other teams about what the user wants, what the customer wants. And I think there's an appropriate place in each of these channels in their funnels where they can help each other out. So paid is really, really good at mid funnel. So organic's great at top of funnel. I'm just curious about something. Paid is really good at mid funnel because like you have ad copy, let me draw you in. Emails is better at very much the bottom of the funnel or retention. So all of these channels should be working together and social is sort of top of the funnel, maybe retention, but all these channels should be working together. So everyone could be going towards that final conversion. And I don't think that necessarily changes in this current world. You know, teams, marketing teams should work together to acquire the user. It doesn't matter who wins and more than likely the SEO channel won't win. And I think that's a, that's a big problem with the way SEO is measured 
that CEOs or whoever's hiring an agency is always looking for the win. Oh, I hired this SEO agency and it didn't work out because you didn't get me conversions. Well, it wasn't really designed to get conversions. If you're top of funnel and people need some time to buy and learn and all that, you're not going to get the conversion. It doesn't mean it didn't work. So if an SEO won't win, if an SEO department won't win when it comes to actually measuring its results against um, bottom of the funnel sales, then what are some better ways of measuring the financial value of what an SEO is doing nowadays? It's going to be hard. I'm going to say like in a perfect world, you should be doing like blended attribution and understanding how each channel works for the end goal. And that's an ideal. And I, I've, I've never, ever seen a company hewed to that idea. Nobody does that. So the reality is you have to better understand the user and better understand the buyer's journey. And then you can approximate some sort of value. So if you're selling e-commerce products, probably SEO does win. So you can say whoever got the last piece of the conversion for this cheap product, that's the channel that wins. If you're selling some sort of long sales funnel product or a service, understanding and talking to the user because long sales funnel usually means there's different touch points. Then you can try to approximate like what did SEO contribute to it? Now, the good thing about SEO is that it's relatively cheap compared to every other channel. So if you're trying to approximate some sort of value and SEO only contributes 10%, well, usually I find that SEO is 10% of the, of the expense, like paid is so expensive email. Like there's a cost to every email sent out organic, you're creating content and then it just kind of amortizes over time as it drives conversion. So even if you're more truthful, and again, I find that it's hard to do this. If you're more truthful about the contribution, it's still highly profitable. Now, w with um, AI being incorporated in search results um, now and moving forward, probably, and probably the ever increasing focus on number one position, is there going to be as much value moving forward uh, being on the bottom of the first page for uh, whatever result you're targeting? I think so. I, I always, uh, always target being on the bottom of the first page or just being on the first page because you have the user. So it depends on what you're doing. Like if you're talking about a, um, a product or service that takes a really long time to, for people to understand what they're buying, being on the first page means they will see you. And it doesn't matter whether you're number one, because it's not direct to conversion. So in the, as they do their research, they'll change their query. Eventually you'll end up higher and they will see you. I think that's what SEO still needs to do. Just make sure the content is seen. Now, if you're trying to replicate what could easily be pulled out of pages and put into a generative AI response, that was designed to go away to begin with. If an SEO is struggling for time, what should they stop doing right now so they can spend more time doing what you suggest in 2024? So one thing I have seen with, you know, throughout my entire career is SEO has this sense of urgency over everything at the same time. So something I use with all of my clients and I've written about in my newsletter, it's called the, the rice format. So it, it's a, a way of project managing based on reach, impact, confidence, and effort. So you take each of your initiatives and you score it. You can score it one through 10. You could score it high, medium, low, however you score it. And it, when you score things, that's when you discover, Hey, I'm spending so much time on this and it's not really going to do much, or I'm spending so much time on this. I don't even know if it'll work, or I'm spending so much time on this. I thought it was easy, but the engineers say it will take nine months. Just taking the time to understand where your efforts are will help prioritize better. So 
there may be like one simple change to a title tag and no SEO wants to come in and say, just change a title tag and that's it. That's my job today. But if you look at it and say, well, there's going to be a high impact from it. It's actually pretty easy. I'm barely confident it will work and it will impact and it will, it's going to reach every single person that does this query, do it. And then you get your win and you earn your political capital. Or if you say, I want to change the privacy policy. Well, now you need to go to legal. You need to do all these things. Maybe that's not something that should be that important. So I think just taking that step back to score and prioritize and understand what each of the initiatives you're working on is going to do will really help you bubble up the things that you should focus on. Eli Schwartz is a strategic SEO consultant and growth advisor and author of Product-Led SEO. And you can find him over at elischwartz.co. Eli, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2024. Thanks for having me. I've been your host, David Bain. Get your copy of SEO in 2024, the book, over at seoin2024.com. <laughs>